0: Welcome to the IPv6 Buzz podcast, where we dare to dive into the 128 bit address space wormhole. Quick reminder there's sponsorship opportunities available from IPv6 Buzz and the other Packet Pusher podcast shows. So if you're interested, go to packetpushers.net slash sponsorship and you can get all the details. And if you've got something cool working with v6, we definitely want to hear about it. So come join us on the v6 Buzz and uh, we can chat all about it. I'm Ed Horley with my co host Tom Coffey and Scott Hogue. And today we're going to be talking about uh ipv6 architecture and subnetting with our desk uh daryl swear and uh and i figure we just jump into talking about it because you've got a really cool blog article (laughs) that sort of outlines a ton of this and uh and we can and we can sort of talk about it in terms of like what made you write it what did you think you know what what problem space were you sort of solving through and was this something for yourself like personally that sort of journey wise that you wanted to get down for everyone
1: else I would like to give a little bit of background on the, the whole blog to begin with, which is where, of course, I posted this article. So originally, when I started off my blog, I had the intention of um, helping out people out there to learn the correct information or what we have come to known as best practices with various uh, subjects and topics in networking. And of course, IPv6 being one of them. And that—that is uh, still the original intent behind this uh, IPv6 article of mine as well. I wanted people to have access to uh, correct information and information that is as compliant as much as possible with uh, the various best practices, the BCPs, and the big cops out there in the uh, industry. And and I just really wanted everybody to have an idealistic or as close to idealistic. IPv6 deployment out there, and that has been a bit of a challenge in my personal experience and observations when we try to go and say, you know, Google or something and try to find information for deploying IPv6 well, we find the information, but uh, most of them do not explain how you should really do it on the detailed implementation part, uh, which I covered in my article. They they don't explain how you should perform uh, your subnetting, your your architecture plan or what someone would call an IP address address uh, address management plan. And that was when I got the inspiration or uh, the motivation, I suppose, uh, to uh, write write out this article to help people and network operators out there deploy a correct and idealistic and IPv6 environment. And yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's one of the main, uh, main factors and reasons uh, for Inspiration and motivation for me to write down and publish this article. Yeah,
2: it sounds like you might have had a requirement to deploy IPv6 uh, in your day job in some fashion, and that uh, that you went looking for good guidance around you know doing an, an address plan and handling the subnetting and, and the uh, the architecture around the subnetting. Uh, and is that is that the case? Were you on the hook to actually turn IPv6 up? Uh, with your with your day job and deploy it is that what sort of started it
1: um so my interest in uh in, in ipv6 in general and when i actually started getting into it working with ipv6 it predates my current day job so um although i do have a day job i actually also freelance on the site so during my free free personal time i freelance and what that means is that i work with uh, many different network operators from all around the globe. So we're looking at enterprise, we're looking at DC operators, we're looking at ISPs and some uh, telcos as well. And one of the most common uh, uh, query or requests from these folks, these various network operators, when they seek out for my help and consultancy services, um, they asked for IPv6. And uh, the earliest time I started working with IPv6, I believe it was two, two or three years ago, somewhere around that timeline. And I started with V6 all the way back then, two or three years ago. So my experience with IPv6 and indeed trying to solve a use case or I had a requirement, you are indeed correct on that one. Uh, it predates my, my current day job and it predates it by a couple of years. Uh, so yeah, I've, I've always just had an interest in, the, in networking and in particular I've always liked the idea of IPv6, you know, you don't have NAT, you don't have any kind of ALG nonsense, all of that stuff. You can just deploy native IPv6 and enjoy, well, native networking and peer-to-peer will also work correctly, assuming you deploy it correctly. And so, um, yeah, it, it's uh, that's, that's how I got into IPv6, right right from day one, basically. I've always had an interest in V6, so, so it predates my, my current day job indeed. I think
3: all of us, you know, were kind of IPv6 curious at one point and then started to (laughs) do more research about the protocol and realized, wow, this is kind of refreshing in a lot of ways, you know, simplicity of addressing or uh, removing barriers due to, you know, abundance of addressing or or you learn different interesting characteristics of the protocol and you're like, wow, that's like a novel approach. I wish (laughs) V4 did it that way or this is nice and so you kind of get that sense of wow this is kind of refreshing but then on your in your day job then when you have to go back and work with ipv4 isn't it kind of a pain <laughs> you're like man i wish the, these things weren't the way they were with ipv4 you know you definitely feel the constraints of addressing when you go back and work on a v4 network right yeah absolutely and for, for me
1: personally right uh, when i look when i'm job hunting or job searching and when i make a decision to join an organization um i do make a priority on ipv6 and i do ask the potential company that i may or may not join um what's the status on ipv6 and uh, if they say hey we don't have ipv6 right now then i ask them okay that's fine um what's the plan do you want to deploy ipv6 anytime soon maybe in the next month or so And if their answer is, no, we're not looking for IPv6 for the next couple of five to six years, then, well, I'm sorry, but no, you know I'm not going to join your organization because my policy is IPv6 first or IPv6 preferred. Either one, and if it's not either of these options, I'm afraid I don't join. So with that being said, um, in my current day job, everything is IPv6. So the whole company, the whole network backbone, everything is either V6 preferred or V6 first. So... IPv4 is deployed in very very limited scope, uh, and uh, everything is IPv6 in the backbone. All of you know software monitoring, uh, applications, whatever we run internally, everything is IPv6. So I've been fortunate enough in my current day job to uh, work with V6 on a daily basis. I, of course, there is IPv4 uh, configurations in some aspects of the network. We still, un- unfortunately, we still need V4 because although internally we may support V6 everywhere, that's certainly not the case externally, right? Various networks that we interconnect with or peer with or have a relationship with, they, they, they just don't have V6 support or their applications are not uh, capable of V6 for one reason or the other. So although there is V4 deployment, but it's just for legacy purposes, you know, we keep mm-hmm. V4 just to support the uh, legacy systems and legacy uh, applications, yeah, okay. but yeah.
3: We talked about that in just recently in show 126, how, you know, a prospective candidate might ask questions of their prospective future employer, you know, if they're interested in working on IPv6, ask the employer if they are serious about IPv6 to give you the opportunity to to do the type of work that you're doing right now. That's that's <laughs> That's one aspect of that show we recorded a while ago, yeah.
1: Yeah, I think it's important for uh, potential candidates or more specifically, you know, um, engineers, not just network guys like ourselves, but even Mm. those who work in other aspects of technology, I think they, they should always ask about V6. V6 is the current internet protocol standard. It should also be deployed in the very near future for any organization that has not deployed it. So, and I think that would also get the ball rolling with these kind of organizations, right? So if, for example, they had a potential candidate, and it's like oh hey guys but you know i'm sorry but i keep doing it because you have a you don't have a policy for ipv6 mm-hmm. and you're like oh wow we just lost a great candidate maybe we, we can really uh we consider our <laughs> opinions and stands on v6 uh, but that's just my personal opinion mm-hmm. though. that's how i see it yeah
0: i think that's interesting because there's so many engineers out there that are struggling to find resources to help them out which sort of turns us back around <laughs> to what you wrote right around around your <laughs> article so have other engineers reached out to you and said like, "Hey, this has been super helpful," and us sort of you know trying to figure out what we need to do for for our organization because finding practical advice around getting V6 deployments done is is actually relatively hard to find, and uh, and and you've done a pretty good job on on, on laying out the information in, in your blog. I think it's 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 really well done. So hopefully, others have found it useful too.
1: Um. Yeah so when I published the uh, the, article, the article and also Ethic of course the uh, the RIR over here in APAC when they published it which really helped with the visibility in in the industry shout out to them for helping me publish my blog post by the way um uh, so when when it was published I did receive uh, a lot of positive feedback in my you know in my private DMs uh, in social media and uh, to other platforms that I'm available on. And also uh, I saw a lot of positive uh, feedback from engineers who said, hey, you know, I, we have a couple of customers who were uh, talking about V6 and you know, this is a really great uh, article or great write-up or great content and uh, I'm gonna be sending this to my customers or so somebody said something like, I'm gonna be sending this to my employees. And uh, there have been some engineers recently who reached out to me uh, in one of my DMs or, or somewhere in my emails, I don't really remember. Uh, they they read my article and like, hey, uh, we read the article, but we're still a little bit confused as to how to perform the IPv6 subnetting or the architecture for our business use case. and uh, And so uh, it, it seems to have had a lot of positive in, impact. I see a lot of uh, a lot of views on it uh, in social media. And in my analytics, so my website, I have analytics running on my website, of course, to help me with search engine optimization. I see a lot of engineers and uh, people from various uh, parts of the world visiting the article and reading it and spending uh, engagement time of around five to ten minutes. So, you know, if somebody spent five to ten minutes in the article, then it certainly means they're reading it um, with a genuine curiosity. So I would say it's yes, it has helped. A lot of people who at least told me it has helped them and they did reach out to me in private or in public as well, in some of the social media platforms, some reach out via email. And some of them did say that it has helped them deploy V6 correctly in their network. So some of them were, it just so happens with the timing, it coincided with them deploying a new, new network or just in the starting initial phase of V6. So they happened to have stumbled upon the article and they're like, hey, this, uh, this really helped us uh, deploy V6. And uh, they did mention they liked my uh, idea of the uh, geographical denomination model. I, I don't know if I emphasized it well enough in the article. I believe I did. I don't actually remember. I think I did. So I call it a geographical denomination model specifically, Uh, Because when we work with networks, right, networks are are built in the physical world and that physical world has constraints and different organizations, different businesses have different physical constraints. And I really was like thinking, oh, hey, you know what? Let me do the V6 subnetting based on the physical relationship of the network with an organization. That's how I came up with the idea for the uh, geographical denomination model and the it it's, it it doesn't seem to be a common model. As in my personal experience, I've I've not seen too many people, um, dr- driving their IPv6 deployment using a top to bottom approach from a geographical standpoint of their business model or their organization. A lot of people seems to just do it based on like on a site basis. If they have a couple of sites, a couple of pubs, uh, they do it on a site or pub basis, but they never really look at it from a future proofing standpoint. So I personally have a little bit of an obsession with future proofing and I think it's important to try to future proof the network design, the architecture and everything from day one. And uh, I see that's really missing out there in in these various um, IPv6 deployments. And uh, like I mentioned earlier, I do freelance on the site in my free time and that means I've been lucky enough to see uh, a lot of networks out there. So I have admin access to a lot of networks out there. And when I look at these networks, I log into the networks and look at how things are done. And of course I speak to the teams uh, that run the networks. Uh, nobody really does the subnetting in a, in a geographical based denomination model. So that was another another inspiration I took to write the article and uh, also specifically uh, try, try my best to emphasize on this model approach. But of course, with that being said, um, it's it's not a silver bullet for every use case. right? I'm sure there are use cases out there that is not covered in the article and whereby the geographical denomination model or any of the other details inside the article uh, may not be applicable. So I definitely did mention that throughout the article, like, hey, you know, this is not a golden rule. These are just general guidelines. You ultimately know your business better than I do, because hey, you know, different people have different use cases and different businesses, different business models. And uh, but yeah, so so that's the uh, that's the background behind the uh, positive feedback, and as well as a little bit more further background on the on, on the article itself, and from the uh, yeah feedback from the community.
2: Daryl, that it brings up a question I have related to uh, the idea around uh, doing subnetting. That's, that's tied to like geographical location, uh, geography, or physical location. And, and you mentioned sites as being, you know, a possible uh, assignment uh, criterion for for how you know where prefixes get assigned or how how they're being carved up in the the overall address plan. And I'm wondering um, if you have an opinion around you know, what size allocation is, you know, like the sort of, is there a minimum size allocation that makes such an approach feasible? And, and I know, you know, we've got different regional internet registries that sort of have different policies. They're, they're similar in some ways. And, you know, it's, it's very likely that if you put the same address request in front of you know the different uh, the different folks that are looking at those address requests to hand out the blocks at, at each of the rears. That you probably get a similar amount of space, but but I wonder if you know in, in your you working with that model so far. If you if you feel like uh, you know a potential deployer, customer, or you know uh, one of your clients that's actually rolling out V6 is there is there sort of minimum size allocation that they're going to need to make a a geographical assignment of prefixes work or is it something that you know you feel like you can do uh, that works with sort of you know any size allocation
1: so uh this particular question right uh, or rather you know uh, a query it's a bit of a challenging one to answer so uh in my experience, generally speaking, and this is also my opinion, but I also know other people in the industry who share this opinion as uh, the same way I do. I strongly believe that these uh, regional internet registries, so, you know, we have uh, APNIC, we have Wright, uh, we have ARIN, we have LACNIC and AFRIDIC. And I really think all of them should strongly ensure that every BGP speaker as a single slash 32 minimum delegation. So when I say BGP speaker and slash 32 minimum delegation, of course, I'm referring to uh, organizations, businesses, or uh, ISPs, enterprise, DC operators, telecom operators, so on and so forth. Uh, with that being said, there are certain people like myself. I do have a my own IP resources. I do have my own ESN. And, that, that policy does not necessarily mean every individual person on earth who, can ha- who happens to be able to pay for rare membership to get a Slash32 unless they really want it and they need it be- and also, well, hey, we're not running out of IPv6 anytime soon. Uh, now, the reason for the Slash32 minimum uh, opinion or idea is that I, I see a lot of, 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 of operators out there. So they do this really strange approach. And this is from experience that, that I've, I've really seen this firsthand basis with a couple of operators, ISPs uh, in particular. So let's take the, the our, my country right in India. So in India, we have uh, a couple of we have a lot of states. So we have like 29 states or something and a couple of Union territories. So uh, we have a country. Then we have states, and within those states, we have cities, we have towns, we have districts and villages, right? And like I said earlier, the network is deployed in the physical world, right? There's a physical uh, attachment, a physical, uh, a tangible f- physical element to the network. So let's say we have an ISP in the state that I currently live in. So uh, I live in, so I currently reside in Karnataka, India, here in South India. That's where I'm living currently. Um, in this state, we have a couple of cities, and we have a lot of possible, a lot of possible towns and districts. So let's say I'm an ISP, and let's say I couple, uh, uh, sorry, I, I cover, I provide uh, fiber optics uh, uh, connections to customers in, in in the city of Bengaluru, where I currently reside in as well. And let's say I went with this strange approach. that a lot of operators did. Let's say I request my uh, re- internet registry to give me a slash um, a slash 48. And I'm not making this up. They really just request for a single slash 48. And they have like, say, uh, 100,000 customers. Now, if I have a single slash 48, how exactly am I supposed to, for example, ensure that one, it is scalable, two, it's future proof, and three, and most important thing, even if the first two are completely ignored, to ensure that I can perform route aggregation in the future, as my business scales up, as my network scales up, and I want to use more v6, how can I aggregate a slash 48? That's not going to happen, right? And what they do is they take a single slash 48, then they slice it into a uh, slash 64s I've seen them going way worse than that. They slice it into slash 90s or whatever per VLAN or something, some really weird, uh really weird, subnetting ideas that they do, or even a slash 126 uh, per VLAN. And it just creates a really super, super messy uh, network environment. So now customers, uh, again, seen as before, some customers will uh, actually have a really bad ISP that will give them only a single slash 128. And then they tell the customer to perform NAT66 on it. I'm like, yeah, what, (laughs) you know, and it's really just really weird approach and it's not scalable. Number one, it's not scalable. Number two, it increases the chances of making a mistake because hey, you might just go outside the nibble bit boundary and then you have complications with the DNS records and, and the like, and you just create a lot of administrative overhead. So I, I personally really hate having unnecessary administrative overhead and I try to get people to like, hey, minimize your administrative overhead. And by going with the route of taking a, a smaller subset of prefixes from your internet registry, each time you need a new slash 48, or slash 44, slash 40, slash whatever, I I, I just don't see that idea of being ideal. And so with that being said, I really wish that all of these regional internet registries would make it a policy to ensure that every single member, at least for the first time that they register and join uh, joining with their membership everybody who requests ipv6 we will give them a slash 32 no questions asked everybody every bgp speaker they will get a slash 32. now with a slash 32 you can do some really cool stuff with the seventh thing as of course i've um, given an example in my article and now it's a little bit more future proof a little bit more scalable And uh, less error prone, and you're not going to do some weird slash 126 or slash 128 per customer. Now, you know, you can give your customer slash 48. You can give your customer slash 56 or whatever works out for you, but it's certainly not going to be a slash 128. And also now your backbone network, instead of having a technical debt. So a lot of these organizations that did this strange slash 48 requests every six months or so, they built up their network in a way where it's the IPv6 uh, subnetting and addressing is super complicated and complex and well, just fragile, that they start creating technical debt for themselves. You know, they then have to do renumbering, reconfiguration, calling up their customers to change the IP addressing if it's a static IP addressing and they're not using the SPV6 uh, PD or they're not doing BGP, for example. Um, and then it creates a lot of overhead and technical debt for the organization. So I really hope somebody, maybe myself, I'm not really a policies guy, but if I was, I would really like to make a request to <laughs> to these regional internet registries, at least with the one that I'm a member of. So I have my own membership at APNIC and request them to make the slash 32 being the minimum delegation for every uh, member that joins, and they don't have any previous IPv6 resources. And uh, however, that's not always sufficient. So one of my uh, close friends, uh, so I I run my own AS. So one of my friends who is my upstream provider and uh, I'm helping them out deploy IPv6 as well, we ran into a bit of a complication, and uh, I'm going to elaborate on this because it deals with uh, the policies, the regional Internet Registry's policies on IPv6. So this particular network operator, a friend of mine, uh, his network, his organization, uh, they provide coverage in multiple uh, states of India. So you could say it's a countrywide network. It's certainly not the biggest in India, but it's certainly not the smallest either. I would say it's a medium-large network, but you know it's not telco size. And with that being said, they obviously have a lot of customers in each different uh, state or region. So I was like, hey, you know what? I think you should maybe request for a, a slash a slash 28, I believe, yeah, a slash 28. Or maybe you could like, for example, uh, try requesting a. Uh, the uh, the nurse so the National Internet Registry here we have in India, the not They call themselves Iron. I R I N N. I was like, hey, you should uh, shoot them an email, tell them, hey guys, we we have the single slash forty eight you gave us a couple of years ago, and uh, we want to comply with the best practices uh, in the industry, and you know they link to the BCPS and the documentation and whatever. And well, the nerd came back replied to them, hey. No, you're not gonna get a slash twenty-eight. Uh, you're not gonna get a slash twenty-nine, but we can give you slash forty-eight or something along those lines. I I never read the email uh, completely. They just shared me in my in my DMs, and I was like, okay, well, so I I did some research. I reached out to a friend of mine at uh, at Apnic. I was like, hey guys, what's the actual policies for a uh, slash twenty-nines and slash thirties or whatever for a a network operator that's medium to large in size and uh, they're looking to give v6 for everybody it's like uh yeah we we, we definitely do give slash 29s so you just need to provide us with a network diagrams some documentation as per the policies and we'll give it to you but apparently that was not sufficient for uh, the national internet registry here in india so my friend he's now just stuck with two slash 32s which means that the subnetting plan, I, the vision I have for his network, right, for his IPv6, cannot be realized. So now I have to make do with the, just two slash 32s to cover the whole country. And it's while while for the backbone side of the network, the back end of the network, or not the customer facing sites, I could make use of a single slash 32 for the whole country. it is sufficient, like a slash 44 per site or a slash 40 per state or whatever for the backbone is sufficient because, well, the backbone is just a couple of interconnects here and there, a couple of circuits here and there, a couple of routers and switches. But on the customer facing side is where the problem starts to become more apparent. So I only have two slash 32. So one slash 32 is reserved only for internal and backbone purposes. It's not for the customers. Now, the second slash 32, I usually, for for my clients uh, here in India specifically, again, based on the geographical denomination model, I always recommend everybody to use a single slash 32 for every state, just for the customers. So you have a different pool, a different slash 32 for customers in each state. So per state, you have a minimum slash 32. And of course, the backbone is a separate slash 32 that covers the whole country. Uh, so a single slash 32, I now have to make do with a single slash 32. Very likely I have to cover a couple of states with a single slash 32 for the customers. And I don't like it because now I have to break a slash, slash 32 into uh, whatever it could be. I've not really looked into it, but maybe slash 40 or whatever. And now route aggregation will also be a problem because in the, in different locations, we have different transit providers and different preferences for routing, right? And we cannot just advertise the whole Slash 32 aggregate in all of these locations for latency and routing performance reasons, internally of course. Uh, so I it creates a really messy situation. And I reached out to my firm like, hey, now what did Ivan say? They said, yeah, no, we are not going to get the Slash 29 or Slash 28. They told us we got to make use of this, these two Slash 32s first then only will we reconsider your requests and reconsider the application for the slash 29 slash 28. So in in my personal opinion, I just do not understand why are they so stingy with IPv6 uh, allocations. I mean, look, I can understand if they're stingy with IPv4 requests the way that they are with IPv6 because IPv4 is basically exhausted and okay, sure, I get it. But IPv6, like, what is so difficult about giving a slash twenty nine to an or, to an organization that you know for a fact covers the whole country? I mean, uh, so the NIR here in India, they have access to the you know the corporate details of any organization. They can always request a detail from the uh, member as well, who can verify that. Hey, yes, we cover the whole the whole country. We have a lot of customers here and there and whatever. But nope. No, no, slash 29. It, it never came true. And so here we are with a slash, a single slash 32, probably to cover the whole country, which is a network wide country again, uh, for the customers. And there goes the best practices and route aggregation <laughs> right out of the window. So I, I really do not know what's going on with these policies with IP, surrounding IPv6. I would like to see a slash 32 minimum everywhere. And if in, in the case of ISPs, a slash 32 minimum per state, of course, depending on the country you live in, because different countries have different geographical denomination models. But with that being said, uh, slash 32 should be the minimum, in my personal opinion, for pretty much everything. Now, the number of slash 32s required is debatable. It depends on the scope of your network, what kind of network it is, how big is it physically, how big do you think it's going to be in the next five to 10 years. So, the number of slash 32s is debatable, but Anything smaller than a slash thirty-two is, for me personally, a, a no-go. I would not opt for anything smaller than a slash thirty-two if I can help it. So that's uh, that's my that's my opinion on the uh, allocation size or delegation size from the regional internet uh, registries. Uh, I know it's a touchy subject, of course, uh, <laughs> being policies and stuff. I, I get that, but but yeah. And was
0: that, was that an APNIC thing or was that, cause I know India, doesn't India have its own registry for internet names and numbers, but they work in coordination with APNIC, right? In terms of coordinating. Yes, for, correct. But, but in country, the country is basically delegating their own address space from allocation from APNIC. Is that correct? Or did I get that wrong?
1: While technically APNIC covers, you know, well, APAC as the name suggests, uh, to cover the Asia Pacific. Uh, and if you're Indian, like in the case that I am, yes, you could directly go for APNIC and be a member of APNIC and then directly request your resources from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, APNIC fees are really expensive for a lot of Indian businesses and uh, network operators locally here in India. So it's it's largely due to currency differences. So you know the Indian rupees against the Australian dollar, that's that's a no go. It's it's just too too <laughs> big of a difference and. Right. Uh, so what happened was the you know they came up with the idea let's have a local internet registry in India well not really local it's a national internet registry and NIR so Ivan um, and then they subsidize the fees uh, I, I, again I'm not a policies guy so I'm just using some potentially incorrect terms I don't know if you call it subsidization or what uh, but the fees are on IRIN. so if you're a member of Ivan your fees are really really Discounted from the original APNIC fees. If you're a direct member member on it's way more expensive than if you are on Iron. So, if I'm an ISP in India, I have two options: either I can offer APNIC or Iron, but never both. Uh, that's how I understand the policy is to be. You cannot offer both; you can only offer one. That being said, ninety-nine percent of Indian ISPs and Indian operators they opt for Iron for the obvious reason that it is cheaper. And with that being said. You know, there is this saying, and I'm, if anybody from India listens to this, they might call, say it's controversial, but there's a saying that you get what you pay for, right? And I personally have been very vocal against IRIN because they have just really strong incompetence, and that also g- goes and impact the IPv6, uh, the IPv6 allocation. So there have been reports uh, from some network operators I spoke to a couple of years ago. I, I don't remember who it was. Uh, they they told me like, hey, Ivan actually gives us uh, allocations that are outside the nibble bit boundary. I'm like, wait, what? They they do that? You don't get a slice 48, you get a slice 47? It's like, yeah, we get a slice 47 or like you know some other weird uh, weird weird uh, prefix length. I'm like, okay, wow, that's that's really strange. And on top of that, uh, although it's not IPv6 specific, but it will still hurt IPv6 deployment. So if you are a member of Ivan. There is no way for you as their customer or as their member to update the who is information of your prefixes, so you know, your, uh, your who is uh, database information, your description object, your uh, autonomous object or whatever you have in six object, whatever you have, route six object, whatever it is, RPTI, everything, there is no way for you to manage that on your own. There is no web portal for it or anything you have to manually email them. If you're lucky, they'll update within the hour. If you're not, you have to wait an entire week. And there was an incident a couple of years ago, uh, you can find some article about it uh, on, on the web. Somebody wrote an article about it. They accidentally deleted all of the routes, route objects uh, from the DB. So all of the Indian members who were you know, members of IRIN, <laughs> they, they lost all their route objects. And you can imagine what happened with the routing when <laughs> route objects are deleted wow. en masse. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's, it's super messy. And uh, it, there's a lot of back-end talks about how incompetent iron is. It's uh, I've been one of the few who are vocal about it publicly. And they, of course, ignore me on social media because they're not going to give a response publicly. But we don't really like Iron, But unfortunately for my fellow countrymen, uh, due to financial uh, differences between the apneic fees and the iron fees, they have to go for... Uh, Iron and they, if they're lucky, they'll get a slash forty-seven, mm-hmm. and maybe a slash forty-five, and uh, if there, if if there's a miracle, they'll get a slash thirty-two. But often they're not, they they don't get that slash thirty-two. I'm afraid. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I,
3: I think we could all agree that if your prefix length, if the number after the slash is a prime number, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Wait yeah. a second. What about what about ULA space? That's got a slash seven. Right?
3: <laughs> That's prime. You're right. You're right. That is prime. So you're good to go there. Yes. Yeah, so go, go for ULA. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. Yeah, yeah your slash fifty three. You know, get out of here with that slash fifty three.
2: <laughs> fifty three is good for DNS and for ATM cell lines. Oh, lengths. yeah. Oh, it's a TCP port number. Ah, oh,
3: different. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I mean, maybe talking a bit about that because I I, th- I think it's it's unique maybe to your specific geography for the things that you're dealing with there. But it's it's super useful for other people to know about what those routing policies might look like across the pond, right? And what impact they could have on the global routing table, which is really what you're sort of talking about, right? Is is how does that look for everyone else in terms of what what base minimum size prefixes make it into the global route table. And what impact that could have for everyone else too, right? I, I think that's. I think it's. Uh, there's a lot of forth forethought on your on your part of saying like, hey, there, there's we sh- we should be handing out more than enough address space for an organization to utilize. But in addition, this is better for the global routing table too, right? You sort of get yeah. Yeah. two benefits.
1: Yeah, indeed. Because, um, like I said, you know, if you go every six months or ten months, whatever, requesting slash 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 forty eight. And uh, how are you supposed to aggregate those slash forty eight They're completely different from each other, from a completely different range. And well, you're just polluting the global routing table. And I, I this 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 uh, conversation of global uh, routing table um, table size uh, has been a very long, uh, lengthy discussion in the IPv four world, of course. You know, for obvious reasons, you know, <laughs> slash twenty four and everything and whatnot. Um, but. And IPv6, if you look at the uh, BGP statistics for the global DFC uh, at the ve- this very moment, you'll see that Slice 48, I believe so. I uh, haven't looked at it for a while, but I think Slice 48 make up like 45-ish percent of the uh, IPv6 global table. I'm like, wow, that's insane. for Slice 48? So I, I fear personally, I fear that if the V6 table keeps getting polluted, with individual Slash 48, instead of people performing route aggregation for again, best practices. Um, a lot of people in the future, or a lot of network operators uh, rather, may have to just uh, rush upgrading of their equipment if their existing equipment is not able to support a an explosive V6 table. Uh, from the looks of things, the V6 uh, global table seems to be exploding with Slash forty eights, and I personally don't like it. I want everybody to, Aggregate as much as possible with the uh, slash thirty-two being preferred, but okay, slash thirty-six is also still decent, right? By all means and measures, slash thirty-six uh, route aggregation is it, reasonable. Maybe not as amazing as a slash thirty-two or larger than slash thirty-two. And this conversation was uh, was uh, initially in 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 my personal experience. A friend of mine from the uh, telecom industry, he he talked about this with me in private. It's like, hey, you know. One, the people are just going to start rushing their upgrading of their equipment because the V6 table just exploded and they don't have sufficient as, as a, uh, sufficient uh, fit capacity in, in the routers. Of course, that varies from vendor to vendor. Different vendors have different capacities and different models from each vendor. have Again, different capacities. But if the table becomes explosive, which I strongly believe it will by looking at the current data, that's not doing any favors for fit capacity and rush upgradation of their equipment. And again, there is just no good reason to pollute the global table with more specifics unless you have to, right? Unless there is a valid reason. Maybe, you know, you're uh, being DDoSed and you announce a more specific to your DDoS scrubbing provider. Okay, that makes sense. But after the DDoS is over, that more specific is removed and only the aggregate. Parent prefix is visible in the DFC. And yeah, I think it's a two sided benefit. One, you now have, if, if you get a slash state to minimum, and ideally maybe a slash uh, 29, 28, or whatever, depending on your business size and your uh, network model. I I, I think it's two sided indeed, as you suggested. Um, one is the DFC will be free from pollution. So it will all be aggregated prefixes as much as possible, which of course is idealistic at this point. And two, your network IPAM or you know architecture and something is going to be future proof for 10, 20, 30 years down the road, people, you know, your, your team, your colleagues, your employees, even if your existing employees left the company and you have new people joining in, it doesn't matter. You have a clear cut IPAM or IP plan in your internal documentation. You just go through it and they know, oh, hey, this range is for this location. It's for this set of devices, it's for this type of function or purpose, and it's just clear-cut definition through and through uh, 10, 20 years down the road. So yeah, I, I, I think it really is a two-sided uh, benefit if the regional internet registries, if they do come to some form of agreement on the on, on translating this technicality since we are discussing a technical uh, matter on the subject of IPv6 and translating that into plain English uh, policies, it will be difficult. I, I think it will be difficult. There will be a lot of questions asked for whoever tries to do that. But I think the conversation needs to to start, right? We need to start talking about it so we can try to improve the uh, allocation policies on the regional internet registries. With that being said, uh, I, I, I indeed have heard that Vipe seems to be really uh, generous with their V6 uh, policies, their V6 uh, allocation. I. I have seen a couple of individuals, you know, private individuals having a Slash 29 uh, in Europe. I'm like, wow, Slash 29, that's, yeah, I'm not going to be getting a Slash 29 here in Asia. And no matter what, as a private individual, that's not going to happen. I think perhaps the right may have partially already resolved this policy issue because, hey, if they're giving Slash twenty nines to uh, private individuals, I think they're doing great uh, that that certainly means that for you know larger organizations and businesses then right is more inclined to give one slash 29 for sure because they already do that for some private individuals and two it also means they can just give a larger prefix if the organizations are really massive and you know to cover a lot of uh, geographies right I'm just gonna say the word geographies they cover a lot of that um, so maybe we should start looking at how RIPE does it and see what we can work with from there. Maybe use RIPE's uh, policy language as a foundational uh, found, foundational base for policy proposals to the other regional internet registries out there. So Aaron, uh, Aaron uh, Afrinic, lectic and Ethnic. But but yeah, that's that's, that's what I think.
0: I, th- I think I hear Tom cheering with you.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah
2: absolutely. absolutely. It's music to our ears. I can tell you that.
0: yeah, I think I think we're all in agreement that uh, what we're what we refer to as as uh, as uh, left shifting and trying to move uh, the internet to, uh, a little bit more to the left in regards to i p v six allocation space and policy would make a lot of sense for. Um, for many of the RIRs, and for organizations that are requesting space, right, like just going in and being more assertive and saying we need greater, greater size allocations for you know solving our related problems, and that and that includes planning for and having you know the right sort of nibble boundaries for deaggregation that makes sense that isn't abusive of 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 the DFC. So yeah. Well, very cool. Well, unlike V six, we run out of space for this podcast, so thanks to today's guest, Daryl, how can folks follow you on the internet? What's the best way you want folks to reach out to you?
1: um folks out there who wants to follow me, they can of course follow me through my blog. They can also find me on Twitter, my LinkedIn everywhere. I use the same uh, username, uh, so Daryl swear. so you just type Daryl swear, you'll find me. you'll find me even in Google <laughs> so yeah that's uh, that's how I would like to be followed by you. Yeah. All right.
0: Awesome. And well, we'll put them in the show notes. You can reach the IPv6 Buzz podcast on Twitter. We're at IPv6 Buzz. And you can also hit up each one of us on Twitter. Tom is at IPv6 Tom. Scott is at Scott and I'm at E. Horley. Thanks for listening to the IPv6 Buzz. You can find us in the Packer Pushers or any of your favorite podcast apps. Just search for IPv6 Buzz. And if you like the show, please give us a rating on iTunes, Spotify, et cetera. And if you like this podcast, we recommend you check out Heavy Networking, Day2Cloud, and the Network Break Podcast, plus all the other great technical content over at PackerPushers.net. So long and until next time, we'll see you on the internet. The IPv6 internet, that is.
1: Thanks for listening to IPv6 Buzz, a podcast devoted to truth, justice, and 128 bits of address space. IPv6.